0: How intentional are you being in how you show up in the world? Do you consider yourself a leader, even if you're a solopreneur, a side hustler, or you don't have a team yet in your business? And how resilient are you when things come along, sideswipe you, and totally derail you? This is what we're going to cover off in this episode of the Untapped podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson. An entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this Untapped podcast, and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about, so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you, and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. My guest today is the lovely Katie Anderson, an internationally recognized leadership coach and consultant and professional speaker she's best known for inspiring individuals and organizations to lead with intention which is so my jam she founded a consulting practice in 2013 to work with leaders at all levels and organizations to achieve higher levels of performance and she helps leaders people like you and me yes you're a leader to connect purpose process and practice to achieve those higher levels of performance but we go even deeper In this episode because Katie, like me, is a lifelong learner. She calls herself a leading learner as well. You've probably heard me talk about that a lot on this podcast, whose career has traversed through roles in academia, consulting, and healthcare operations. And that's what led her to create her consulting practice, live in six countries around the world, and do what she's doing now with her new best-selling book, a family, and at the time of this recording, a move to Mexico, to Baja, For five to six weeks or so. So definitely living the life and leading by example of living with intention and fulfillment. In this episode, we talk about if you get knocked down seven times, how to continue to get up on the eighth time and what resilience means. We definitely dive deeper into being a leading learner. We talk all about why failure can be so beneficial for you. If you do just this one thing to make it so. We talk about Katie's obsession with Daruma goals and the influence that Japan has had on her entire life and business, as well as how she took the leap out of the corporate world into starting her own business. I hope you get a lot out of this. It was such a pleasure to have Katie on the show. So let's roll in. Katie Anderson, welcome to the Untapped Podcast Show. Thank you, Natalie. It's great to be here. It's so exciting. I know we've got lots to chat about, but first off, how do you tap into your potential and get paid to be you?
1: I tap into my potential by taking advantage of opportunities that come my way and also creating them and about connecting people around the world, both with their sense of self and their purpose, but also together with their ideas and how we can make improvements in our organizations, as ourselves individually, and then ultimately changing the world as well.
0: Awesome. So when you describe what you do to people, do you sort of say that you're an intentional leadership coach or how do you, because I know that you wear many hats, but how do you describe what you love to do on an everyday basis?
1: This is one of the things that I've been spending a lot of time on this year, as you know, about really how to describe what I do, because there are a lot of different pathways that I execute on what I do. But at the core, I really get the most passion about helping people identify what gives them passion and purpose, and then aligning their actions to be able to fulfill that. So, And that's really what I've taken to be my own sense of leading with intention and living with intention. How can we both create that sense of purpose and then alignment with our actions? And I think you can do that in many different ways and aspects in our life, whether or not we are leaders of large organizations, solopreneurs, or even parents or friends. It's how we show up every day.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I just want to go back a little into your story because you sort of fell into entrepreneurship. I don't think it was necessarily the first thing that you were mm-hmm. thinking about. And I'd love for you to share your path on sort of your background and how you got to here doing this yourself.
1: Sure, thanks. And again, I think this is a interesting time in my life because I'm actually taking a step back and looking at my business from a business perspective because I mm-hmm. did fall into it. I started off my journey of career in academia, actually and thought I was going to be a professor. And that led me into getting my master's degree. I actually lived in several countries during that time. And I came into doing healthcare consulting and working internally in operations and got a passion for not just improving processes, but really how to help people inside of organizations make their organization as good as it can be and helping develop other people. And then fast forward seven years ago, actually an interesting time in my life. I was just pregnant with my second child. I was really enjoying the work that I was doing, but also feeling a bit burnt out from the responsibilities of the corporate world.
0: And Mm -hmm. I decided
1: it was time for me personally to make a shift. And i had never planned to, you know, start a company or start my own business, but I knew it was time for me to do something different in terms of having control of my own schedule and the work I was doing. And so I made the leap into the unknown. And this was a really scary time for me. I didn't have a, like a real plan, but I had a sense that I had enough connections from the good work that I'd been doing and the relationships that I'd built over many years. And I decided that I just needed to, even though I didn't have a plan or didn't know exactly what was going to happen, to just make that leap. And it was the most empowering, impactful experience of my, actually my entire career, because by making the decision to leave, I closed doors, but it opened up these incredible opportunities as well. And I had contracts already in negotiation before my last day of work with colleagues. And then so that was so empowering and wonderful. And then serendipity happened that my husband had an opportunity for our family to move to Japan within that same year. So I had my second child, started my business, and we moved to Japan all in the same time. And that has really also influenced my business and what I do. And it was an incredible experience, both personally and professionally. Um, yeah, and I'll imagine. To where I am
0: today yeah. <laughs> so much to unpack there that I don't know how I didn't know that you'd started off sort of in the academia route but it does mm. explain a lot more about your sort of fastidious nature and curiosity and desire mm. to know all the things and that's just fascinating I love that you took that leap without necessarily having a game plan but because the, you made that decision as you said all those doors opened up for you and you clearly had an amazing network over the years and for your credibility in your corporate profession. So when you were actually ready to go, you had those sort of connections set up. Did you know that you'd go more into the consulting route or did you just kind of think these are the things that I wanna be sharing, teaching, and working with people on, so let's just see what happens?
1: I was in an internal consulting role for many years and in, in, in organizations. And actually, while I was living in Australia, after I finished my master's degree, I did work in a, for a consulting firm. So I had those experiences already. So it made sense to me to already take that knowledge. And then instead of being an internal consultant, be more of the external coach and consultant there as well. Nice. And the number one thing that I recommend to people throughout their careers, whether they're starting off, you know, just graduating from university or entering their career all the way through is about maintaining and developing and cultivating relationships not with a real sense of purpose and desire to stay connected. But also it will come to help you in unexpected ways down the line.
0: Yeah, business is all about relationships. And you're Mm. like the master connector. I know when you joined the 10k club, it was awesome. I was like, how have you connected with all these ladies already and got on calls with them and everything? And you're like, it's just what I love to do. Mm. And you're so right. So important, because it's always about, you know, what can I do for you? What can you do for me, but also being genuinely interested in people relationships are the heart of business. So
1: I want to dive back to Japan, because that was what year did you move there? In 2015, January. Okay. It was a bit open-ended. We knew that the assignment for my husband's job was going to be about 18, 24 months for that role. And so I just leapt in feet first (laughs) and hit the ground running. I started learning Japanese and I was going back to the word intentional. I was really intentional about how I used that opportunity and the time. I could have just showed up and done some great exploring, had some a great personal experience. I also had a glimmer of a dream in the future about how could I leverage this personal experience to be something really important and impactful for my professional life. Mm -hmm. And it really has turned into be that way. So I've created a lot of, I went out and learned as much as possible, started writing a blog at that time, really started creating a broader connection and community. And now I lead trips to Japan. I've written a book about a Japanese leader. And I think without taking advantage of those opportunities, it would have happened in the same way.
0: I love how you just embraced that. So let's talk a little bit more about that because there's so much to unpack. But first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your obsession with Daruma dolls? And uh, yeah. for those who aren't able to see this, Katie's got a whole shelf of these beautiful dolls behind her. So what's the story behind them? They're amazing to look at, beautifully painted mm. but I'm sure like with so many Japanese things, there's a whole culture and tradition behind it with some real sits and meaning that we all should really know about.
1: I became obsessed with these dolls and they're paper mache of all different sizes. I give away ones that are, you know, maybe four centimeters tall all the time at conferences or to people I work with. But they are dolls that represent having a goal or intention. And you mm-hmm. fill in this is my book's completed Daruma that I'm holding up for you, but you fill in the doll's left eye when you have a goal and it looks at you. And as a visual reminder and representation of your goal. And also it's weighted at the bottom and it represents this Japanese proverb about fall down seven times, get up eight. So even if you knock the doll down, it weeble wobbles back to a a standing position. Hmm. And so it represents the perseverance and the patience that's required to achieve your goal. And knowing that it's not a linear path, that you're not going to just achieve it right away, but Even if you get knocked down, keep getting back up, learning and and moving forward. So I've become quite, I have quite the collection here (laughs) and I've collected all different types of Darumas from around Japan. And when I take people to Japan, I also bring them to the town that makes about 90% of the traditional Daruma dolls. And We visit the Daruma temple because the Japanese actually burn their Darumas um, at the end of the year once they've completed their goals or fulfilled their wishes.
0: Oh, wow. It's like a burning ceremony to sort of celebrate yeah. the release. Let it go. <laughs> so, so many things. What's the town that they're made in, just in case people are ever curious and they can't come on one
1: of your tours because obviously right yeah. now
0: things are a little different. But what yeah. is the town?
1: It's a town called Takasaki and it's about an hour or so outside of uh, Tokyo. So it's, okay. it's not too hard to get to on the train. Nice. Perfect.
0: And it really actually hits home with me because with our life pilot methodology that Josh and I use and is a course that we offer it's all about goals and intentions so I love mm-hmm. that that is actually what Ooh. it stands for and it did also bring up the song of I get knocked down but oh, I up yes. again." accept it's like eight times so yes. and I think you know when you relate that back to the entrepreneur's journey it's just so <laughs> it's so what we need to actually do at any point in your business I feel like even when you're just everything seems to be in flow and on a roll they'll Always be something that may just come in and derail you. And if you let that derail you so much that you're put off or you want to quit or you want to stop, which most entrepreneurs that I know have always felt those feelings, but we go on because we come back to our goals and our intentions and ultimately our why. Why do we do what we do? And I just love that idea of, you know, you get knocked down, you get back up again. I've just had something this week actually with regards to my dream team, which I've talked about a lot on this podcast and a few things that really came out of left field on that and really knocked me down. And I got straight back up and I was like, thank you, universe. I think this is you testing my resilience and I am game for it. Like I literally said that out loud. I was like, bring it at me because I'm just here to stay. Like this is my life's work and this is important to me. But a lot of people and probably even me sometimes in the past have gone, oh, is this just a sign that I should give up? So I really love that beautiful metaphor of that Daruma doll. I'd actually really love to get one. I might have to um, figure out if they sell them here in New Zealand. And so let's go on to this amazing journey that you've had of your now bestselling book that you released just, gosh, even just a couple of weeks ago, I think. Congratulations. What's it called? You.
1: It's called Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. Yep. Lessons from Toyota Leader Isao Yoshino on a Lifetime of Continuous Learning. And you, it, go. Yeah. you can see why Katie and I get on so
0: well because we both talk a lot about being leading learners. So how on earth did you get to write this book with this incredible leader as somebody who's to sort of come into the country and landed there? How did you make that connection happen and lead to this book?
1: Yeah. So again, it goes back to this sense of having a connections and networks. So when I moved, found out that I was moving to Japan, I reached out to some people about who had had experiences in Japan, one of which was, the man who was the first non-Japanese employee of Toyota, and turned out that it, we were at a conference together in July before I moved to Japan. And his mm-hmm. boss and mentor, who is Mr. Yoshino, was there as well. And I happened to meet him. He gave me his business card and said, "When you come to Japan, look me up, and we can spend some time together."
0: And That's I really so did lovely. think it
1: was it was so amazing. And I have certainly learned from that point on that like he is truly someone who leads with the heart and leads with the mind. And that he was really genuine in that same way of making mm. connections and meeting people. And yeah. it was just yeah, it was this lovely experience. I was gonna imagine just...
0: somebody in his level of position to just hand over business cards and say, look me up when you come to Japan mm-hmm. is no small thing, but he made it sound like just such an easy, simple, very kind and generous offer.
1: Yeah. It, it was, and that was genuinely who he is. And I thought for sure this was gonna be a once-in-a-lifetime experience, our very first meeting and we we had a really just lovely conversation and looking back on it now, I think that some of our core values and sense of purpose in life are really aligned, even though we're different generations from different mm. cultures, are really about helping people, connecting with people and living around the world. And he was really open with me and allowed me to write about our conversations on my blog. And it was really exciting to people to have this inner access, which I was thrilled to have personally to this Toyota leader who uh, played some really instrumental roles behind the scenes in a lot of Toyota's learning and people-centered culture. And I had this window into time with him. And from the experiences we had both in Japan and then when I moved back to the U.S. and we started to partner around the world, I thought, you know, his stories really needed to be told because they'd give us all an opportunity to learn more deeply about what it means to be a leader and a learner at the same time, no matter what level you are.
0: Yeah, so beautiful. And then that's neat to know that it started out from you blogging about your interactions and he okayed that. When did it form into a book? And I'm asking this because people who are listening might be like, how the heck do you go from just a chance meeting to blogging to a full book? And how, yeah, I just love to know. I really love how these serendipitous meetings turn out
1: to be something so much bigger. Yeah, it's so interesting. When you take a look back, it seems like, oh, that was so clear and obvious, but it wasn't. (laughs) It totally wasn't at the time. So I started blogging and I saw that that was part of my sort of business purpose while I was in Japan, since I wasn't able to do as much paid work at the time. And I was using the blogging also as a way for me to express thoughts and reflect and learn and then share it with other people. So I would say that people were getting, I was getting a lot of really good responses from the blog posts over the the 18 months I was living in Japan, particularly the ones related to my conversations with Mr. Yoshino. And when I moved back to the United States, we continued to have conversations. And I can't even remember when it happened. It must have been about, I don't know, three years ago or something. He said, well, maybe you can write a booklet. And I was like, if we're going to do a booklet that seems like, actually seems like a much bigger project. And but I said, yes, I I think the academic in me was really intrigued by like having this deep dive into this really intellectual experience. And I'm always up for a challenge. And so we said, OK, let's at least get started with some purposeful interviews. And as we started doing the interviews and really uncovering the richness of his experience, I realized that this book was going to be way bigger <laughs> than I originally intended. And I also was going on a journey about do I go look for a publisher or do I take on self-publishing as well? And I ultimately decided to self-publish and I'm really glad and grateful that I did. As you yeah, know, I'm though, really you know, there's a whole yeah. lot. There's a whole nother world of, of self-publishing as well. But I, as an entrepreneur and business owner, I really appreciate having all of the intellectual control over my, over my book and how I use that. Mm. But yes, it's, and I had to have some pivots. And as you know, too, with writing books, you have a vision in your mind of what it's going to be. But also have to give yourself grace to know that through the writing process, the book that you discover may not be exactly what you intended in terms of structure, but the vision is out there. And so I had to make some pivots and I ended up telling it as more of a memoir and a true learning story opposed to having headings with different leadership lessons and to really let the learning come from each individual's interpretation of the stories. Beautiful. I love it. So I would
0: love to actually dive a little bit into the book and yep. and maybe what your personal biggest learning has been since meeting him that I mean you you've talked to a few of them but if you can point to one part in the book that's probably your favorite that we should dive into if we're grabbing a copy what's been one of the biggest learning lessons
1: To me the biggest learning lesson is about the importance of failure and that failure is only truly failure if you don't learn from it mm-hmm. and I think it's so easy to beat ourselves up with challenges or things that we feel like are mistakes or didn't go well. I mean, this goes back to the concept of fall down seven times, get up eight. And one of the things I really appreciate about Mr. Yoshino is how open he has been about talking about not only the things that were successful in his career, but the challenges and the failure and how he was in a culture where failure was embraced and it was okay to make mistakes because mistakes are a source of learning. And I think it's so different than how often many of the organizations we work for or the clients we engage with, sort of our culture is not one necessarily that embraces failure and mistakes and is something so powerful.
0: Yeah. I find that really fascinating as well. I mean, I know I've learned a lot from Toyota over the years because I believe that they were also, correct me if I'm wrong, the company that brought in Ikiyagi, that, is that correct? The aspect between... Yeah, I'm going to have to come back to that. But it's a beautiful philosophy that we use as well around what's meaningful to you, Mm. etc. As part of that sweet spot that I talk about, but it takes Mm. that what's meaningful as being really important too. And I'm really fascinated that they embraced failure because having spent only seven weeks in Japan, not quite as long as you, but one thing that came through really clearly in their culture was how much they pride themselves on doing everything super, super Mm. well. And the decades and years of learning that they do around, for example, curating beautiful gardens and how long your apprenticeship is to even get there before you get to be kind of like a master gardener. So I'm really intrigued that they embrace mm-hmm. failure in that culture. And I'd love to know if you, with all your conversations with him, actually had an example of a failure that they learned so much from that we could learn from as well.
1: Yeah, so it's great. And one thing that's important too, and it was an interesting discovery for me is that Japanese culture is a component of Toyota culture, but they actually made some real changes into how their, their company culture that wasn't necessarily the same as Japanese culture. Yeah, that's
0: what I'm, clearly yeah, well wasn't. Yeah, and it wasn't. That's what I was so intrigued. I know, and,
1: but what's really interesting is they do have this striving for perfection and this mm-hmm. sense of long-term view and patience, which is really important and, and maybe isn't as much as what we have here in the West. But absolutely. The book is actually bookended by two failures in Mr. Yoshino's life, one, which was more of a mistake that he made when he was 22 and just started. It was actually his orientation and he was sent to the shop floor for two months, even though he had a back office job and he was assigned to pour paint and solvent into a vat that was going to then paint the cars. And it was that he acknowledges it was a pretty boring job. You know, he had to sit there and every like hour or two pour, you know, a mixture in. And this is in the mid to late 1960s at the time. And he sort of lost track of time. And the shop floor manager came in and yelling, oh, my gosh, 100 cars were going to have to be repainted. The paint wasn't sticking. And what was so intriguing, and he was laughing when he told me this story, is that he was worried inside that he was going to be, you know, blamed or, you know, fired or something. But the manager found out what he did and said, oh, thank you. Thank you for making that mistake because it now is allowing us to make changes and make it better for next time. And to me, that's just such a powerful story. I can't even imagine any similar thing happening. A manager or a leader saying, thank you for making that mistake because now this is showing how we can make improvements.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's almost unheard of, isn't it? I, yeah, yeah it's incredible.
1: incredible. It's our, like our first instinct is to blame. And so that just speaks so much to the type of uh, company culture they developed. And then fast forward 40 years, he was responsible for a $13 million new business venture and it failed A very complex story. And we go into it in the store, in the book, but at the same time, even though this business failed and he was trying his hardest, but, At the end of the day, they decided to shut it down. And the president of Toyota, so very, very, you know, internationally famous person, came up to Mr. Yoshino and said, it's okay, don't worry about it. You are new to the business, we were new to the business, and we've all learned something that's going to help us for new ventures in the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, the same thing opposed to being mad that we had this big business failure. If we're going to try new things in our organization, I think this really speaks to being an entrepreneur as well. I think this is such an interesting example, too, for those of us who have our own businesses as well or who are in a startup mode, that for us to have a new business venture or be entrepreneurial or innovative, we also have to be willing to have it not be a success because we have to try things and there may be failures along the way. And hopefully it won't be a $13 million failure, (laughs) although Toyota could absorb that. But how can we have that same mentality that it's okay to experiment and to try and of course hopefully we do succeed and and are successful but ultimately how can we be learning so that we're improving for next time
0: and it is such a hard lesson i mean i know i talk about this in my new book coming up suck it up princess i have a whole chapter dedicated to failure and then Mm -hmm. if you don't learn the lesson from it, it it is a true failure um, And I talk about one of my biggest launch screw ups that led to one of my best launches ever. Had I not had that that shitty, shitty experience and not taken the lesson from it and not taken it so personally, like when you remove the personal part about you and actually look at what happened and analyze it and just go back through the story and learn from it. It's so, so powerful. And I think often those things come into our life to teach us the most powerful lesson that we actually need going forward in order to scale and grow and do our best. Do you find that's like true from some of the people, I guess, that you've spoken to and throughout your career in and, and leadership consulting? Do you find that some of the most successful, powerful leaders are the ones who've learned the biggest lesson from the biggest failure?
1: Uh, absolutely. And and I, as you were talking, I was thinking about how hard it can be, this sense of failure and sort of our, our own ego that happens into that and the, sort of the emotionality. But if we can sort of process that part and see failure as a source of learning and look at it with being more objective than we really can uh, learn from it. And my experience from just the individuals that I coach and have worked with over my career, as well as, you know, those who I, I read about and I listen to that it's this attitude towards learning and seeing our experiences as a source of learning that really is that key differentiator. It's that growth mindset opposed to the fixed mindset and in fact, you know, I, a lot of the conversations I had with Mr. Yoshino in the early days was trying to uncover what was the secret to Toyota's success. It's so revered as this, you know, one of the top automakers and this people-centered uh, culture where there's you know, continuous improvement in this Kaizen mentality. And he said to me that there really is no secret to Toyota except its attitude towards learning. And I think from both an individual and an organizational perspective, if we can keep that in the forefront, all the tools that we use and all the processes are helpful, but really it's about how are we learning from this experience and having little rapid experiments so that our failure isn't necessarily as huge of a failure, but more on these micro scales.
0: Yeah, that's true. And thank you so much for bringing up Kaizen, because I that is the one that I think I was also thinking of, that continuous improvements aspect of just, con- yeah, makes a lot of sense and, and how they've done so, so well. So to sort of round this off for people listening who, you know, they may just be the only person in their business. They may be a single consultant, a single coach, a side hustler. How do you think that we can still view ourselves as leaders and take some of these lessons? Because, you know, I know you're going through this yourself. And for me, it's like, how do I step up and be a leader even when you're starting out and you're not leading anybody? You're actually (laughs) leading yourself and hopefully the people that you're inspiring or teaching. What do you think are some of the ways that we can... Actually, step into that role, and how it will benefit us
1: well, the key framework that I've taken to represent a leader's purpose and role is really simple, but and it can be applied to any leadership role, leading your own business, leading a family, or leading a large organization and this came back from something I heard from Mr. Yoshino that very first time I saw him at a conference. but a leader's role is to set the direction provide support and create the systems that allow, I guess, yourself or your people to be successful and then continuing to develop yourself. Mm-hmm. And so if we can, and you talk about this so much, Natalie, about how are we really clear in the direction we need to go? So what is that challenge that we're moving towards? What is our vision for our future in three years? And then how do we set clear targets and goals along the way? So that's more of the directive part. And then the providing the support is How do we create those systems and structures that sort of enable success? And if we have people on our teams, how are we not necessarily dictating or micromanaging every little step in the process, but being clear on where we need to go and then enabling them the creative space to get there? And then how are we also developing ourselves? Like, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? And what do we need to do to change to continue to be more effective in leading our organizations, leading our people, or leading ourselves, frankly?
0: Yeah. So beautifully summarized. Thank you for that. And you can also see how easy it is when you don't have the support yourself to, even if you have the vision to get buried in the detail (laughs) and the doing rather than the supporting of the people who can be doing it and creating better systems to be more effective. So just a really timely reminder for anybody listening, if they're struggling, those are the three things you really need to be focused on. Thank you so much, Katie. I know we could talk for so much longer about this, but I want to respect your time. And I would love for you to tell people where they can pick up a copy of the book and also learn more about you.
1: Thanks, Natalie. So the book is "Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn," and you can go directly to that same website, Learningtolead,leadingtolearn.com. It's available on Amazon as well as other online retailers. And then my website is KBJ. Anderson. My primary name was Brian Jones, so I'm KBJ. Anderson. Dot com and that's my Twitter handle and you can find me on LinkedIn and everything there too and I, I really love connecting with people around the world and how we can all live and lead with intention
0: yeah because you've lived in six countries as well mm. well I've lived in a lot and so I just love that as well I think you probably learn a oh, ton of lessons through that mm. how to lead yourself and lead others just travel is amazing for all mm. the lessons that you learn it's probably another story another time thank you so much again for your time and yeah it's been a pleasure having you here thanks Natalie So great to have Katie coming along to talk about being a leading learner, to talk about failure, to talk about how to get back up again when things aren't going quite right. And of course, a love of travel (laughs) and the fascinating insight into these Daruma dolls. So I hadn't heard about them until I met Katie. Katie is also a recent member to the 10K Club. So you can see the kind of quality people that we have in this beautiful club of people who are all wanting to build six-figure businesses make the money that they deserve, the impact that they desire on the world, and have a truly awesome lifestyle. So if you are interested in joining, come along to nataliesisson.com forward slash 10k. That's one zero, the letter K, to find out more about this awesome club. And in November, if you're listening to this right around now, in a week or so, we're having an expert guest workshop with Natalie Coombe, who was on my podcast just last week, And we're going to talk about the three steps to pricing yourself right. And this is all about value-based pricing and paying yourself what you're worth, charging what you're worth, and making an awesome experience for your clients. So if you're considering coming along and joining, now is a fantastic time to do that so you can get along to that workshop live in November. I'm Natalie Sisson. You've been listening to the Untapped Podcast. You can find all the episodes at Sisson.com forward slash podcast. There are so many more great guests coming your way, as well as more solo episodes from yours truly, because you keep requesting them. And heads up, I'm also going to be getting back into the YouTube channel with video trainings and also putting up solo episodes there. So that'll be fun. If you want to see my face, if you want to see my podcast set up, and if you want to engage and interact there head across to youtube.com forward slash Natalie Sisson, subscribe so you can be one of the first people to see those episodes drop. And if you have any topics that you would love covered here on the Untapped Podcast, please hit me up on Instagram at Natalie Sisson or drop me an email at nataliesisson.com. I do answer my own emails and I love hearing from listeners of the show because otherwise I'm just talking into my mic, wondering who the heck around the world is listening to this at what time and what you're doing right now. So send me a screenshot of you listening in to at Natalie Sisson on Instagram, tag me, do whatever. Just let me know where you're listening in. I'm always so curious and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe, rate and review if you love it. Otherwise, just have an amazing week and focus on tapping into your potential.